I really feel we need to get a global community of positivity around what we do and how we change things. There is going to be no better time than now post-COVID. Never before has our industry been busier and more important. We're really well-placed to demonstrate our value. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm joined today by Charles Cameron. Charles is the CEO of RCSA Australia and New Zealand and the Vice President of the World Employment Confederation, the global lobby group for the recruitment, staffing, and HR services industry. With qualifications in economics and labor law, Charles has specialized in advising and representing the recruitment and staffing industry for over 20 years. He's a passionate advocate for labor market intermediaries and consultants, and he's really driven and passionate about the role of professional recruitment consultants in inspiring people to be better through work. Charles, welcome. Thank you very much for being here. G'day, Mark. Good to be with you, and uh, g'day to all your listeners. Fantastic. So... Uh, you were referred to me by our mutual friend, Greg Savage, who's been on the show a couple of times. How long have you known Greg? Look, since I've been uh, involved with RCSA, which uh, predates my time uh, of commencing a CEO in 2016. So I reckon I've known Greg for close to 10 years. And uh, hey, uh, with his new book out and uh, doing a lot more online, it's pretty hard not to know Greg Savage. I think uh, Greg yeah. came up as one of the top 10 HR influencers uh, on a list recently. And uh, yeah, all power to him, mate. Yeah, he's awesome. He's been a huge supporter of uh, of my work and and a mentor to me for over 10, 10 years. Um, we actually know a lot of people in common. Um, do you know Neil Carberry, the chief exec of the REC in the UK? I'm drinking his whiskey as we speak, mate. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> we, we had a big win on a, uh, a large uh, lobbying campaign here in Australia and uh, he very kindly in celebration sent me a great uh, Scotch whiskey and uh, so oh, nice. I, I thought uh, just to get the, uh, I don't know, a bit of free flow on the uh, podcast, I thought I'll have a, a wee nip as he might describe it. So I know you <laughs> very, very well. Awesome. Yeah, he's a, he's a Scotsman as well uh, originally. Um, and a lover Jason, of ice hockey too, yeah, by the way. So oh, is that the, right? I, wow, the, the reason I raised it, we were in uh, Montreal when COVID hit and um, it was the last time I was overseas with the WEC and uh, we're all ready to go out and uh, see a bit of hockey uh, up in Montreal, but um, it got cancelled and uh, we all got sent home. So there you go. Oh, wow. I did not know that. I'll need to ask Neil about that next time I, I speak to him. Um, so... Neil has been on the show, uh, another big Aussie supporter of the recruitment industry, Jason uh, Elias. Yep. You know Jason? I definitely know Jason very well. He's a great member yeah. and, uh, of course, uh, is a chair of our New South Wales ACT Council for uh, here right. at RCSA. So, yeah, definitely know him well. He's got a, an increasingly uh, large uh, global profile as well, doesn't he? Yeah, he's he's awesome. So he's been on the show as well. So listen, um, let's dive into this. Uh, but just in terms of context, how did you get into the recruiting industry? Yeah, great question. Uh, look, probably going to show my age here, Mark, but uh, back in the 90s, I was working for Australia's largest uh, employer body, uh, the Australian Industry Group. And uh, I uh, was uh, giving advice out to a whole range of different members. I was a young guy then and sat on the phones and gave phone-based advice. 
And I remember once uh, one of the uh, uh, the senior directors of the organisation came to me and said, oh, Charles, what are we going to do? All these uh, what we call here labour hire firms or staffing firms that keep overusing the advisory service. Um, we're going to have to try and put a lid on it. So in my mind, I sat there over the next uh, year or so, I thought, wow, if they're big users of the service, there's obviously some really nuanced and uh, uh, critical, I guess, requirements uh, within the staffing industry in Australia. So how can I actually leverage that from a commercial point of view? So I decided at that point in time, I thought, well, third-party employment, staffing, labour hire, agency work, whatever we want to call it around the globe, mate, um, I made a decision that how can I leverage that from a commercial point of view? I decided that, uh, hey, best thing I could do, go and work within a recruitment firm for a couple of years to really understand the commercials around it. So I went off and I did that, probably the smartest decision I ever made because I still to this day rely upon that and get inside the minds of business owners and uh, really understand what drives them and their salespeople and uh, their consultants. And after that, I started my own consulting firm uh, that specialised in the recruitment and staffing industry. So, yeah, that's how I got into it. I was really just starting to think, how do we turn what could be perceived as a problem or overuse into a solution. And, um, yeah, um, after a period of time, you know, over a few mergers and acquisitions, uh, I found my way in as CEO of RCSA Australia and New Zealand. Oh, wow, that's cool. So what are the sorts of issues or questions that recruiting firms were coming to you with and that you then supported them through your own consulting practice? Yeah, so look, when we talk recruiting firms, uh, primarily my interest was with uh, what we might describe here in Australia as staffing or labour hire or agency work. And the issues there were the fact that the law here in Australia, and I I still think uh, primarily around the world, Mark, I know in the US it's still pretty unsettled, um, this idea that there was going to be an imposition of uh, a legal obligation upon a a staffing firm in the same way as a traditional employer uh, might have to deal with that law. So whether it's health and safety, discrimination law, minimum employment entitlements, uh, all that type of thing. Uh, But the problem was there were three parties rather than two parties to this relationship. So I started looking around and started looking at concepts around co-employment that, of course, exist in the US. uh, But here, the unions and others have been trying to really develop out this idea of co-employment to suggest that there should be three parties responsible, uh, where there are, of course, three parties primarily influenced the employment relationship, but the law in Australia just hadn't caught up. So I took it upon myself to start thinking, well, how do we make sure that our law is going to be fit for purpose over the course of uh, not only the next few years, but the next few decades? So here we are, mate, almost 25 years after that event. And um, look, our law has done a little bit to catch up. Uh, A good case example, in New Zealand recently, they introduced new law called the Triangular Employment Law um, that really holds... uh, clients uh, accountable for circumstances where they do something wrong with an agency worker or a a worker in a staffing situation. Um, Similarly, we're seeing uh, the removal of definitions of employees and changing with workers and persons conducting business or undertakings. I won't bore you with the intricacies, but we're definitely seeing the evolution. But uh, one of the more interesting things here in Australia, and I know uh, it's a 
certainly taken hold in the UK and the US is how we deal with the platform uh, workers uh, and the uh, the digital workers uh, who are being introduced through algorithms rather than people, which might be something we can talk about a little bit later. But that, that's probably the next frontier. So for me, in summary, I just love law that is unsettled. I love trying to assist in evolving law and systems and people and processes and really making politicians and the broader economy actually understand the value of our industry. Fantastic. Well, let's let's talk about that then. What do you see as being the importance of genuinely professional recruitment and staffing consultants? I think re- great recruitment uh, professionals have this ability uh, to get inside the mind of individuals and find something that they didn't themselves know was there. And I think many uh, within the Australian and New Zealand market who aren't involved or don't understand recruitment and staffing will probably sit there and say, hey, how hard is this? You know, you've probably got a few mates or colleagues who are looking for a job. Um, you've got a few clients who need somebody. All I've got to do is marry them up and there you go, I get 20% of their uh, first year income. Um, the great recruitment consultants, of course, uh, do so much more than that. And, of course, Greg would articulate this a, a lot better than I would but getting inside their minds, understanding what it is that they have, how it is that we can assist them to transition skills uh, from old economy jobs to new economy jobs, uh, really then um, supporting them. Um, And I really want to emphasise that element of agent in this. Um, I think um, agent can be flipped a couple of ways. In some cases, it's seen as a bit of a maybe a dirty word. I know um, it might have even been speaking to Neil or uh, one of his predecessors. Um, I don't know if you know uh, Kevin Green um, over in the yep. UK. Yeah, but um, I remember him or it might have even been some of our, there are plenty of UK recruiters here in Australia talking about it being, oh, gee, it's all a bit high street, isn't it? But for me, agency is actually about, you know, talent agent. I, I recently put together another great T-shirt, you know, which is RCSA talent agent because I want to see agents being seen a little bit like, you know, um, agents on behalf of celebrities or great sports people. And in many ways, what they can do is find a market for them that they would never be able to find themselves, a little bit like a, a publicist might do. And I really want to try and change the way in which people look at recruitment agents rather than them just uh, so-called clipping the ticket on the way through. They do so much more. Um, and as we know, and we, we really value uh, here in Australia at RCSA, the value that we provide in terms of not only changing individuals, but through empowering them to find that next role, empowering their family, uh, which then flows through to their community and then through the community into the economy. Uh, but we've got to be smarter because it's a little bit of an unknown art. And um, for me, that's that's the fundamental thing, finding something in somebody that they didn't know was there and then being able to uh, allow that to uh, you know, really assist them from a financial point of view and then deliver great value back to a company, a government or an economy. That's the crux for me, Mark. Fantastic. Yeah, no, that... I agree 100%. And let me just pick up on a couple of the points you made there. One being <clears throat> the difference between simply the the transactional elements of recruitment being the introduction or referral of, you know, a person to a company um, and being the intermediary that, uh, that affects that introduction. I think that... Um, 
at some level could be done by an algorithm, right? Um, in terms of matching, you know, a CV with a, with a job spec, but this is still ultimately a human business. You're dealing with human beings are not logical, not rational. We are driven by emotion. We have, you know, drives, motivations, uh, some of which we don't even know ourselves, as you, as you, as you pointed to, which, you know, a great, recruitment consultant or agent, we'll talk about that word in a second, really understands the human condition and can form uh, trusted relationships with companies and individuals where they really get deep inside, you know, insight into and understanding into that person's motivations, why they might or might not want to change jobs or join a particular organization, how that's going to line up with their own goals and aspirations and so on. And I just don't see a computer ever being able to do that, to manage the whole process of people through the emotional side of this transition or this journey uh, of, of changing jobs. And so that skill set, which Greg talks about a lot as being the the craft of recruiting and um you know, sophisticated selling is, is key. Can we just talk about this? Now, some people may say it's semantics, whether you refer to yourself as an agent or a consultant or uh, some other term. And I, 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 there is some um, sense in which agent can be used as a negative or, or a derogatory and in, in a similar way to, you know, a real estate agent, it's sort of lumping us in with, um, with that profession. Whereas um, I like the spin you put on it, which is that of a sports agent, you are representing or acting on behalf of someone in order to um, uncover opportunities and, um, and negotiate, you know, that um, win-win agreement between, between two parties, which I think makes a lot of sense, especially now as we're shifting to a very candidate driven or candidate short skill short market where the importance of the candidate is uh, on the rise. And in that case, the idea of being an agent or a talent agent is the word you use makes makes a lot of sense. You might remember back in episode 43, I talked to Plamen Ivanov, the executive chairman of iIntro. If you missed it, it's well worth going back into the archives and having a listen. One of the things we talked about was a way for recruiters to shift the conversation with prospects away from fees and make it all about value. iIntro has created a tool called the Bad Hire Calculator that you can show to your prospects that proves to them that your recruitment service will save them potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars. When you can do that, the exact fees you charge almost become immaterial because you've proved that you will save the client the most money in the long run. If you'd like to add this tool to your arsenal, you'd be pleased to know that I've partnered with iIntro and they're offering a 25% discount to listeners of the Resilient Recruiter podcast. All you have to do to claim this discount is book a free consultation and mention my name or this podcast. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained, follow the instructions and iIntro will take care of the rest. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. You, you touched on, but I'd like to go deeper on the economic and social contribution of professional recruitment and staffing firms. 
Mm. Could you elaborate on that? So let's just go back to the word agent for a moment. I mean, what I love is the fact that in uh, this day and age, Many individuals are looking at work, you know, completely differently. Uh, certainly, and it's the argument I regularly use. Uh, you know, again, you might have picked up. I have a bit of a passion about ensuring, ensuring that we have the right settings, the right regulations to uh, reflect the way we're living and working. So, what do we see? We see a lot of individuals, certainly here in Australia and New Zealand, and from my discussions uh, with all of my WEC colleagues around the world, what what are, what are uh, and they're not just young, but what are people who have evolved and transitioned? What are they looking for? They're looking for agency. And what is agency? Agency is about freedom. Agency is about empowerment. Agency is about your capacity to make the decisions you want to make. And again, you'll, you'll see a few. They're not slogans, but they're simple ways of trying to define what we do and how we do it. And it's very much when it comes to agency work. It's about people are wanting to fit work around life where in the past you had to fit life around work. So that is agency for me. So it's an empowering word. And I want to bring it back to this idea that agency, when you have a great agent, you have a great relationship, they empower you. They empower you with options. They empower you with market information. They empower you with the capacity to influence and guide your decision-making. They can empower you and give you an agency by saying, don't do that. You are, you know, I would recommend you don't. And that's having some of those hard discussions and decisions. And I'm going to maybe just uh, jump on the comment you made before, which was around this idea of being aligned with uh, real estate agents. Um, I wonder whether they get a bad rap as well. I mean, look, similar to a job, um, look, we probably make uh, more decisions around jobs these days than our parents did. But the reality is when you buy a house, it's a pretty big deal. What we see, and I don't know if it's the same in the US or your listeners in the UK, but here in Australia, we still might see a lot of online platform introductions for people who are looking for short-term accommodation. It might be uh, accommodation uh, to, uh, of course, as I just did, um, go skiing in Queenstown, New Zealand. If I was going to buy a house in Queenstown, New Zealand, I would not be relying on a platform, okay? I want to see somebody. I want to hear what they say. I want them to tell me and I want to align with and find out if they have the same family values as me, the same social connections, the same need for uh, support and infrastructure. Um, you know, do they have the same hobbies? I want them to be able to read me. And I really don't feel, look, it it will improve. We've got AI and it's starting to read people a little bit better, but nothing reads people as well as people. And Mm. this is why recruitment, genuine recruitment professionals who have a true art will always be relevant. I do think in these short-term engagements of maybe lower value, we are going to see the rise or continue rise of the platforms. But I reckon when it comes to the permanent placement recruitment, I really don't see that it's going to be uh, uh, certainly challenged as greatly as we would in the contingent market, if I can put it that way. So this is what I love. I, I, I really genuinely believe that when we do our job well, we absolutely do change lives. 
The problem we've got, Mark, is that we're not particularly good at selling the value of what we do, and I don't know why. So it's my challenge is to get out there and collect stories. And we do a lot of that in Australia. We're trying to do it at the WEC level. We've got to get the human stories out there of uh, how you have changed somebody's life, their family's life, uh, what are the virtues of what you do. So, look, I may not have answered your question generally, but I really do want to emphasise that point around agency, freedom, control uh, and responding to the way we live and work and care for one another, which is completely different to the way we even did it when I first entered the uh, uh, the labour market back in the early 90s. Wow, great. Absolutely good points. Listen, I have nothing against real estate agents. My niece actually is, in, <laughs> is a real estate agent and she's fantastic. We have a bit of a chip on our shoulder sometimes uh, perceiving, you know, about the way that our industry is per- perceived. And I actually heard Greg Savage say or write something along these lines that actually the greatest criticism of our industry comes from within where with people sniping at each other rather than from clients or, or candidates. And, and maybe this, perce- you know, this inferiority complex is, um, is not founded on reality, but it, but it's more of, um, you know, a, a, a self-perception, but I, there's definitely a motivation among recruiters to, for clients and candidates to understand the value we're bringing and to not be perceived as operating primarily on our own self-interest. And I think that is the crux of this whole debate over terminology and what we should call ourselves and are we agents and is that good or, or bad? And you've hit the nail on the head in bringing the conversation back around to value. Could you elaborate on that point? Like how do we sell the value of what we do and, and what kind of stories are you talking about in terms of the way that we present ourselves in the, in the market? Yeah. Um, we at RCSA have been doing a lot of work uh, and I may have mentioned to you uh, in uh, preparing for this chat, Mark, that um, we do a lot of work with the procurement fraternity here in Australia. Um, one of the other things I said at the right at the beginning is I'm absolutely fed up with the uh, this notion that we are facilitators of the race to the bottom. And again, I'm, I'm more talking about agency work here than I am, you know, recruitment placement type stuff. But I, I just get fed up with it. And then I look and I see that the, the starting gun of the race to the bottom is fired fundamentally by the consumer. The next in line, okay, firing the second gun to uh, to scare you along a bit is procurement. And so when we recently set up a conversation with a whole heap of senior procurement managers, uh, CPOs, the reality is that they sat there and they said, look, guys, you're just not very good at articulating the value that you can offer to us. And sometimes I think that's because we're not given the opportunity. Sometimes I think that's because procurement do come with a predetermined idea as to what we do and what we can't do. I think many of them still do, unfortunately, even though we do, we sometimes, uh, you know, we cut ourselves down. You're absolutely spot on. But I also think that uh, there is this notion that we are the uh, the necessary evil. And it, it, it I guess... It perplexes me, I'll be quite honest. If we're the necessary evil, you don't want to use this, don't use this. Go and find somebody yourself. Why are you talking to me if I'm an evil? 
Um, mm. Do you describe lawyers as a, a necessary evil when you go to the doctor? Um, you probably don't want to be there. Is it a necessary evil? Is the uh, the dentist the necessary evil? Don't use me. That's fine. I've got plenty of other work going on. So this idea that it's almost uh, we are the whipping boys and girls of the uh, professional uh, sector uh, really irks me. Uh, but coming back to this procurement, um, I guess, uh, discussion, uh, we sat there and they said, you just don't define your value particularly well. And I don't think we do. And I think this all comes back to this notion that we sometimes don't believe in the value of ourselves. I'm not a recruiter by trade or by profession. Um, I'm somebody who has spent a lot of time with great recruitment professionals. I think there are a number of uh, those that are clearly undermine, and that comes back to the fact that here in Australia and New Zealand, there isn't a, uh, a benchmark for the profession. I know in Ireland, uh, you know, um, uh, Geraldine, who heads up the uh, National Recruitment Federation of Ireland, is looking to establish the first sort of, uh, you know, what, what you might call master's degree in recruitment, and we've really got to get to that level. But we really have to be better at marketing ourselves, not just marketing our clients. So, again, one of the things we have in Australia is we've established a next-gen campaign, which is to create a whole set of materials that will allow our members to use digital assets and, uh, uh, I guess, stories and compel people that, hey, if you want to change people's lives, there's only so many roles with the UN, there's only so many things that you're going to do and make a you know good money along the way where you can genuinely contribute to the benefit of somebody. And I, I fundamentally believe that really good recruitment consultants and managers do that particularly well. So you might hear something here, and that is that, my great passion outside of making sure the law is fit for purpose is ensuring that we don't stand back and just allow others to dictate who we are. But it requires stories, it requires candidates, and it's got to be a human connection. So, yeah, maybe I'd love to get your view on it, Mark, as to do you actually think of all the people that you interview and you engage with, do, do you think, I don't know, sometimes we sell ourselves short? Absolutely. And thank you, by the way, I, I, I can hear your passion about this, which is, um, which is awesome. And you said something which is that along the lines of, and I've actually said these same words myself, if you don't believe in the value that you're bringing, then nobody else is going to either. So you have to start first and foremost by um, appreciating your own value and, and really exploring that. And one of the exercises that I encourage uh, all of my coaching clients to undertake is in pr like before you do any sales or marketing or anything else, you know, let's actually um, put together case studies of candidates and clients that you've helped and even go to the point of interviewing them, you know, ideally six, 12, 18 months later. And, and asking them questions about what was the impact. So what difference did this candidate make to the organization in terms of them achieving their goals? And then to the on the candidate side, you know, what has been the benefit career-wise for you? And then trying to, at minimum, have qualitative data, but ideally have quantitative uh, data to demonstrate the real and measurable value that we're we're bringing 
um, and to build. So you've used the word stories, which I like, uh, maybe is even better than, than, than case studies because we are dealing with human beings. But, you know, understanding the commercial value that we bring um, and also the, the impact in terms of, of changing lives, for sure, uh, 100% believe that. Yeah, but it's got to um, move from that transactional to, you know, true value adding, doesn't it? We, and again, Greg would say this, most people would say this, we use the word consultant pretty loosely. And one of the yeah. other exercises I've been working on here in Australia is to try and work more closely with the, uh, you know, the larger management consulting uh, firms um, to really understand what is the difference between a, you know, a, you know an ordinary recruitment consultant and a genuine uh, talent consultant manager and otherwise. And I think there is a big gap. Um, and I think a lot of it comes back to understanding business, understanding people, understanding emotion, understanding families. And again, I think we probably sell ourselves short in terms of not having more mature age recruitment consultants. Uh, uh, certainly here in Australia, it might be larger in the US or the UK. But I, I think we should be bringing more to the table and articulating our value. Um, so, yeah, we, it's something we've done here in Australia with our Love Your Work ANZ.com. Go and have a look at a whole heap of videos we've put together. I'm now rolling that into the World Employment Confederation because if anyone knows me, uh, there's two, uh, maybe three words. What do you want from me? Let's get loud and proud because uh, you've got a lot to actually uh, offer, but we're not really good at marketing it. What was that uh, website uh, again, Charles? Yeah, so it's Love Your Work ANZ. Dot com. So uh, we uh, developed that because, uh, yeah, we wanted to, and we get a whole heap of stories from clients uh, who have uh, relied upon uh, working with agencies to develop their business. Uh, it's a whole heap of uh, candidates who have gone through career transitions or got into the workforce. Uh, and I certainly know the ASA, uh, you know, Richard uh, uh, East in the you know, heads up the ASA uh, in the US have a whole range of similar stories that have been developed. Um, you know, the funny thing is, I still don't know why our members uh, aren't prepared to share them even more widely. Um, I think that maybe comes back a little bit to that sort of competitive spirit, Mark, that you, you don't really want to promote somebody else, even though we don't put labels on them or brands on them. But um, yeah, I, I, I really feel we need to get a global community of positivity around what we do and how we change things. And you know what? There is going to be no better time than now post-COVID here in Australia, we have a massive skill shortage because we've put the walls up around Australia. Never before has our industry been uh, busier and more important. Um, I don't know uh, if that's the same in the US and the UK, yep. but gee, um, we're, we're, we're really well placed to demonstrate our value. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading, and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. 
In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. You mentioned um, we're going to come on to cooperation versus comp- uh, competition in, in a second because it's something I believe in as well. You mentioned working with the large uh, management consulting firms and m- my friend uh, Plamen Ivanov at iIntro actually thinks we should reposition ourselves as management consultants rather than just focusing on, you know, being a recruitment consultant. We are actually management consultants, you know, who specialize within talent acquisition and um, trying to elevate really what we do so that we're perceived on the same level as kind of the big four practices and this sort of thing. Um, can we then let's explore this idea of competition versus cooperation. Um, what's your philosophy around this? It was funny the other day I did a presentation (laughs) to, it was a global audience. Uh, no, I'll tell you what it was. I was presenting to uh, the board of the REC in the UK and um, they were just after my ideas. We, we, you know, we've been relatively successful here in RCSA. Uh, we're loud, we're proud, we're passionate and people I think now want to be, they want to belong, which is a really important part of what a great association does. Um, so when I was presenting, um, you know, I tend to get passionate like I am now and I don't ever remember saying it, but I said one of the things I love is that we've transitioned uh, our membership from being competitors to sharers. And she caught it out on social media, on LinkedIn, and I thought, wow, it probably is my finest moment. You know, people ask you, what are you most proud of? You know, five years at the helm of RCSA. It was back in, and uh, sorry for everyone who can't, you know, get out of their own home like uh, us in lockdown at the moment, but it was our conference in Fiji. And it was the title, and we've had a whole heap of titles for our conferences, and normally they're a bit of BS bullshit for anybody who doesn't know what that is. And we ended up going with the power of community because we felt it was critical that we brought people together. And you know what I love? I love the fact that even though it wasn't our largest, it wasn't our most financially successful conference, there was a change there and it, it demonstrated that when we come together and we share and we don't compete and we actually realise that we are stronger as one, we are so much better. And what has happened over the course of the next four years after that conference is the the, the living of that philosophy. Now, of course, we're still competitors, but the reality is that we know that if we actually look after each other, if we complement each other, if we don't uh, undermine one another, and we realise that the way in which we collectively treat candidates and collectively deliver solutions to clients, even if it's not you but somebody better than you, our industry wins and therefore we win and our collective brand improves. 
So I'm very big on that and people want to belong, don't they? Especially in this time. I'm going to keep coming back to this. People now realise that we are stronger when we look after each other. So I think this whole philosophy, this whole concept of being better when we're caring and sharing has been reinforced through COVID. So it's been, yeah, really quite opportune. I've just got to make sure we can continue that. Um, And one of the other challenges I'm looking at now is how do we share potentially with the platform economy as well? Do we? I mean, it's naturally us sitting there going, are they competitors? I think we can share with them and guide them. In many ways, they're probably um, a little bit standoffish because they see themselves as techies rather than you know HR people. So anyway, that's probably another story for another time. Well, no, let's let's touch on that. Before we talk about platforms and so on, um, I think one of the things that's emerged post-COVID or dur- that that really uh, took off during COVID is this idea of building communities. And because we were sort of isolated physically from each other, there was much more, and also that we were all in such a desperate situation, there we're seemed vulnerable. like people were, we were vulnerable. People were more receptive to sharing ideas and to reaching out to each other. And I think that actually has been a huge positive, which hopefully will will continue. So um, like uh, during COVID, we launched our own community for recruiters, which has evolved into uh, our inner circle uh, coaching and peer advisory group where recruitment business owners from around the world come together, share ideas, talk about challenges they have in common and, uh, and help each other essentially. And I think each of our uh, each of us in our own markets can do something similar if you can position yourself as a leader within your ecosystem that you serve and create a community where you're contributing your adding value you're facilitating uh you're bringing people together then then not only is that going to help your the industry you serve the the clients and candidates but ultimately it will come back to you as well because as the one of the kind of key people who is um, creating or facilitating that community, it positions you fantastically well uh, without you even having to, you know, hard sell anybody. Uh, so I think there's a huge opportunity for community building. That's one of the things that I'm encouraging my clients and, and listeners to do is think about this idea of community and how can you leverage that in your own market market niche. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like we've been thrown out on the street because it, in many ways we have to care for one another. So, you know, people have gone back to the top of the pile rather than necessarily technology. So um, I think in many ways uh, the rise of LinkedIn as well um, has meant that you know, this idea that, and when we had it in Australia and New Zealand, people would not send their consultants to a you know, community-based RCSA event for fear that they would be poached. The fact that digital has meant that anybody could pretty much connect with anybody and if you can't use LinkedIn, then there's something wrong and you can probably get them. So everyone's going, well, what am I really protecting? So let's get along and let's share and let's go back to values. Let's go back to the fact that, and this is why RCSA, you know, was established, uh, you know, over 50 years ago. It was on the back of the fact that we actually need to look after one another, not poach from one another, not place somebody into a client and then go and recruit them out again very shortly thereafter. So it goes back to these 
values and fundamentals. And, uh, you know, we have a code of professional conduct that is primarily the main reason that people join RCSA. They want to actually align themselves with a higher standard of behaviour. And I love that. I love that fact. And, look, there's always going to be those who try and get around it on the edges. But you know what? We've got to educate clients not to use them. And I think this is another big challenge for us is this uh, clients not really understanding the difference between the good and the bad. And um, it was only today I was, in fact, this morning having a chat with a, uh, a firm out of uh, uh, Canada who are using blockchain to uh, you know, do micro-credentialing and we're now uh, looking at a project where we can actually identify and codify through blockchain uh, you know, the uh, verification of a genuine commitment to professional standards and certifications and treatment of workers. So I think technology has been not only an enabler uh, but uh, an evolver in that way, which is, guys, let's share, let's come together, let's make it easier to lead clients and candidates to the good guys and gals. Um, uh, so it, it's a really exciting time, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not the end of our industry. It's probably going to be, uh, in many ways, another life blood stream uh, of our industry. Wow, that's fascinating. I, I wasn't aware of that. Um, in fact, that that's a good segue, Charles, into uh, the final thing I wanted to ask you, which is you have a unique vantage point as the CEO of RCSA and the VP of World's Employment Confederation. You know, each uh, recruitment business owner really only sees their, um, you know, piece or their part of the recruitment industry. And you've got uh, a much bigger overview because you've got you know hundreds of members and and you're seeing the world through each of their collective um, uh, viewpoints. What do you see as the big challenges as well as the opportunities facing our industry post COVID? Finding talent has got to be number one. So that then means that our greatest challenge is to move from being talent traders to talent developers, and many. I think are still at this point in time not quite ready to make that transition. So, you know, leveraging uh, the reference to your friend who talks about, you know, management consultants rather than recruitment consultants, I absolutely agree. I think we can be talent management consultants. But that means more than just trading people. It means getting behind the scenes and actually understanding a business. Uh, what are the needs of the business? Uh, what are the impediments to that business achieving what it needs to achieve? Is it even aware of why, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, it's EVP uh, or whether it's onboarding system, whether it's its culture? You know, it, it's an evolution of what we do. So um, I think it's fantastic, but it does require an investment of time and energy. Um, so I think us moving from being talent traders to talent vet developers is going to be absolutely key. Um, the other one, we've got a, a campaign about to roll out here, which is retain your recruiter. We're absolutely sick of this notion that in uh, you know perm recruitment that uh, we still allow clients to come to us and say, hey, we're going to use you and we're going to use five others. And despite the fact that, uh, you know, you're putting a whole heap of time and energy into it, uh, we're going to 
take all that and we're going to use you as part of your process, but we could potentially give you $0 at the end of this game. No other profession would do that. And, again, what does it do? It perpetuates this idea that we will send forward bad candidates. Why would any recruitment firm provide the best candidate if they can go and sell in a candidate-type market that, not sell, but offer that candidate to somebody else? And then that reinforces this idea that we're really uh, not fair income uh, or genuine in the way in which uh, we want to provide a professional service. So we're saying to everybody, do not engage in contingent perm recruitment. Say, if you want to work with us, here we are. You can retain us. Otherwise, go and find somebody else. And in most cases, we've determined eight out of 10 cases, they will actually come back to you and want to work with you as well. So, you know, there's a couple, but we've really got to develop our people as well. And I think in many ways, it might be different in other countries. There's still a lot of chatter, a little bit too much talk about developing our people internally um, and not actually delivering on that. I think because of the talent shortage in recruitment consultants here in Australia and New Zealand and around the world as well, we are going to have to invest in our own people as well. So most of this comes back to this idea of how are we going to develop people rather than simply trade people. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about the fact that we're almost going to be, have to be forced into this position. And I don't think we'll ever look back once we make that transition as well. Wow, that's incredible. I'm um, really interested that you're as a, an organization, RCSA is promoting retain, you know, transitioning from, you know, this contingency um, first, you know, uh, success only first past the post kind of um, model, outdated business model to a retained one where, you know, the recruiter actually gets paid for the work that they're that they're doing rather than a situation where if you are one of five uh, agents, then there's, you know, you're, you're literally working for free 80% of the time, which just doesn't it make makes sense. So. no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and we're developing a playbook, happy to share it with you. Might be another cool. opportunity for a conversation around, the, you know, financially how much better our members do those. And, and there are many of them who have made that transition to, uh, you know, retained only uh, or exclusive only, whichever way we want to describe it. But it just makes so much sense, doesn't it? Um, and, uh, yeah, we're looking at more playbooks around that as well so that how we can assist our members to really uh, – develop and evolve themselves. And why? Because they get confidence by realising that other firms have made the same decision. What I've tended to find in this industry is if they think or a client tells them, wow, you're the only one who's actually said that to us, it's normally garbage. And by actually sharing, goes back to stories and being, you know, uh, solid and uh, one, united in what we do, we ordinarily end up being a lot better. Uh, let's face it, as much as we have a few problems with the unions who don't like the agency worker side over here for a whole range of reasons, we're a union and we should be, you know, coming together as one 
within the realms of our competition law, of course, but coming together as one to actually articulate what we know to be the best outcome for client, best outcome for candidate, and ultimately the most sustainable solution for our own businesses. Because we've got a right to run sustainable, profitable businesses, and then we can invest back into the people that we employ and the people that we place. And um, yeah, I just, I think we've got to be a bit stronger, mate. I think we've got to get out there and fly the flag and be proud of what we do and shout down people at uh, you know, the dinner table if they uh, you know want to uh, suggest that we're not offering value. We do, but we've got to be better at articulating it. Amazing. That's a great place to uh, to finish up, Charles. So thank you so much for all your wisdom and insight today. If people want to learn more about RCSA, the website is uh, rcsa.com.au and definitely link up with Charles Cameron on LinkedIn as well. Um, Charles, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Great to have a conversation with you. And, uh, yeah, everybody out there, get out there and get a bit louder and a bit prouder. We've got a great story to tell. And thanks for uh, helping me, Mark, tell my story. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honoured that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.